brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Salutation, Mets fans. Welcome to episode three of For All You Kids Out There, the official podcast of the BP Met site. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. With me again this week is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, couple notes before we start the show. I hope you all noticed that the musical interlude that opens the show is shorter this week because your mother complained <laughs> that it was too long. Yes. So it's shorter. Uh, yeah. I will also say this is my fourth podcast. I've been podcasting for about five years. This might be the drunkest I've ever started podcasting for an episode. On the plus side, it might be uphill from here. I don't know. We're going to find out together. You, you are more coherent than you were about two or three hours ago. So. It is very much true. Uh, in the second half of the show, well, Eric Malinowski, you might know from BP Mets and 700 other websites on the internet where his writing appears. And of course, in the third half of the show, we'll answer your emails and apparently your Facebook queries because Jarrett just threw that out there. So we have like Facebook fucking questions now to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah fine. In the first half of the show, though, we'll be talking about what else? Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey. Jarrett, do you want the numbers? They're pretty bad. They uh, they are, sure. So yeah. here are the numbers. Nine starts, 48 and a third inning pitched, 5.77 ERA, 3.65 FIP, 4.79 deserved run average, 43Ks, 15 walks, 65 hits, which is a 12.1 hit per nine, if you're wondering. And the league off of Matt Harvey is hitting 325, 372, 490. So here's the first question. What is happening? Well, the league is basically hitting for Jose Altuve off of him. Like you that's, did, the, you did pretty, the actual numbers? I'm good. That's good. That's, it's in the area. Jose hmm. Altuve career is 307, 349, 426, but he's weighted down by his first couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that's sure. what, so his, last, his last three years yeah, are it's modern, modern Jose Altuve. His last three years are 329, 373, 474, which yeah, yeah, is so a pretty good match for Harvey. Altuve is probably one of the 10 best hitters in baseball right now, just looking at pure, like, hit. Yeah, totally so this this is bad. He's good. been bad. Yeah. Yes. Um, his fastball is flat and slower. It hasn't been slower in every start. It has been slower in most starts. Um, so, I think on the whole, he's only down about two miles an hour. But a it's mile and a half per Brooks baseball. I looked this up. It's 96 yeah. and a half miles an hour to 95. And if you if you really want to delve into it, if you want to go to Brooks baseball, which is all I did this afternoon before going to the cocktail bar that got me drunk before we started podcasting, um, the swing and miss rates, the whiff rates, aren't significantly different from 2015. 
I'm guessing if you looked at Jacob Degrom's, they would be, but Harvey's Harvey's, Harvey's are not. Still, Harvey's are, Harvey's still getting swings and misses. He's right. just also throwing some beach balls up there. Right. So when baseball players make contact on Matt Harvey, you ready for this? This is going to be ugly. It's going to be it? not good. So on his fastball in 2015, we're just going post Tommy John. I didn't go. Uh, go past 2015 backwards. The 2015 season, and this is obviously just going to be batting average and slugging because on base percentage is irrelevant. We're talking about balls in play. So on his fastball in 2015, major league hitters hit 247 and slug 379. This year, their batting average is 331 and slugging 431. That's not great. It's not great. No. On his slider, his slider, his what was previously, I think we might, can we both agree with an 80-grade slider? It ain't anymore. Yeah. So in 2015, they hit 188 with a 250 slugging. This year, you ready? You ready? They're hitting 405 with a slugging 703. Okay, so Harvey's been throwing a lot of sliders that are coming in dick high with no movement and are kind of in the same velocity band as his old slider, but it's now like a Phil Hughes bad cutter. Yes. So here's the curveball, which I've always liked. Yeah. I thought it was a good pitch. In 2015, batters hit 189 with a 356 slugging percentage off it. This year, they're only hitting 231 with a 539 slugging percentage. I feel like the curve for him has always been a better chase pitch, and he's been leaving some up this year. But that's just anecdotal. So we can look at we can look at Babip because his, his obviously his FIP is two runs lower than his ERA through his yes. first nine starts. And yeah, okay, the Mets defense as a whole is probably below average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But every other starter, I think, has seen their batting average on balls in play drop slowly across the course of the season. Sure. Except Harvey. And if you look at those isos on the fastball, the slider, and the curve, it's not an issue of bad luck, per se. He's getting shelled. And look, there's a lot of noise in all of that. Like, for the curveball, especially, we're talking about, like, 83 curveballs or something. Is that, that significant? I don't know. But this isn't just a matter of, well, it's May 20th and he's had some bad luck. I, I would also note in terms of the ERA, the Astruble Cabrera misplay caused three of his runs to be unearned from his sure. last start. Yeah. So this is all like the quantitative, but I want to look a little bit at the qual- qualitative here. Yeah. Uh, it, and look, you don't, you watched the most recent Matt Harvey start. I did. I, I did not because I was, again, at like, at like a fancy French dinner. This is like my life right now, apparently. But for the purposes of our conversation, I want to look at that start specifically. And again, you don't want to overreact to one start because you end up with like, you know, scouts telling you that Matt should be in AAA or, you know, Pelf without the breaking ball and split. That's what you get. Okay, but, Adam. Okay, but I'm just saying, you watch that start. If you're grading him out on the 2080 scale for his four pitches, what are you giving him off that start? I mean, so the fastball was like sit 92, 94, touch 95. It's like a six fastball. That's a 60. Yeah, sure. Uh, 
the slider was bad. The slider was like a below. It was it was playing as a below average cutter. So forty forty five. Um, the curveball still flashed okay. He hung a bad one to Murphy, but that was it was actually probably his best pitch on the night. So you know, eh, maybe fifty five or sixty, and the change was you know kind of its usual. But the other thing about the change is when his fastball is not coming in that hot the change there's not much of a velocity differential there so it becomes much easier to pick up yeah i mean if you've got a guy with a plus fastball plus breaking ball and a couple other pitches with command is kind of flaky that's like a four starter yeah Yeah. um it's not this isn't great yeah um and this is kind of how he's looked for most of the season. There was the start in San Diego where he looked better. He didn't look super awesome, but he looked better. Um, he's had a couple where he's looked okay, but it's been pretty... You know, he, the start in San Diego is also pitching in Petco against the Padres. It's not so. a great lineup. And the Brewers yeah. lineup isn't great either, but he's not pitching against the Brewers, he's pitching against the Nats. But. Nah. Um do you think he should make the start on Tuesday? We'll get to that. But before I get into that, sort of like what's next, why is this happening? Yeah, it's like, so you can look at Jacob deGrom, and we'll get to Jacob deGrom later because you watched Jacob deGrom pitch live today. Oh, yeah. As we record this on Saturday evening. So the deGrom narrative seems more straightforward he had the lat injury yeah. he didn't really have a full spray because of his lat injury and because of his baby and whatever else yeah he's coming off a large workload in the 2015 season and if you watch him pitch he's still at times reasonably sharp and the command's okay the velocity just isn't quite there I would also add one other thing with DeGrom that's not true with Harvey. DeGrom was a pop-up velo guy. His yes. velocity spiked. Pop-up velo guys, sometimes the velocity goes away after two or three years. That's not unusual at all. Right, and his fastball velocity is not out of line with what I saw in AA in 2013. It might actually even be a little bit better. So. Yeah, sure, probably still. Uh, but you, when you look at DeGrom, what's happened, you can make a case that maybe it's a little fatigue from last year didn't really get ramped up properly in the spring. You can make that argument. Harvey, on the other hand, looked really good in spring training. And then he had his urinary tract infection, and when he came back, it was yeah, 90, been, 93 been, and flat. Mostly. He's been up and down, but even when he's been up, it's never been quite there. We hear a lot about his mechanics and whatever, but now but, we sort of can get into what's next. Well, the Mets have kind of this week backed down from the mechanical stuff and are starting to talk about mental whatever. So the Mets organization, and we'll both agree with this, are very, very good at killing their own in the press. (laughs) (laughs) Always happen. Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, it's like you got the report, I think it was in the Post this week, that, oh, like, Matt Harvey is fat. He doesn't look like – he was fat last year and he pitched like an ace. I don't give a shit about how fat Matt Harvey is. Somebody, I, I don't recall who it was, it might have been Maggie, retweeted an article saying that he had intentionally put this weight on mm-hmm. because he felt better when he was pitching around 240 as opposed to about 220. And sure, whatever, I don't... Um, 
I, you know, I mean, there's certainly a range of possibilities here. Yeah. One is that he's the Mets swear that he's not hurt, but the next time the Mets tell the truth about an injury is going to be the first time. Sure. Um, you know, there obviously was concern that his elbow would blow out again. That was what the whole thing last year was about. Scott Boris took out an insurance policy for him specifically against the second Tommy John surgery for whatever reason. You would assume that Scott Boris knows a lot more about this than we do. He's privy to medicals. He's privy to all kinds of fun information where we're two doofuses podcasting on a Saturday night. Sure. I I feel like having him take the start on Tuesday is a bad idea. I, um, yeah, I mean, so they had, even, him th- they had him throw the sim simulated pen, sim inning, sim game, yeah. whatever on the field today, which is, let's be clear, incredibly unusual. Not only was it unusual, but they apparently tried to simulate like a crowd atmosphere. Mm. Like they had like their players like yelling from the dugout, and it was just like this was before the gates opened, so the only people that saw it were whatever press happened to be hanging around. Well, they weren't thrilled. Apparently, was watching it. Yeah, it just makes uh, it incredibly odd, even above and beyond the incredible oddness of it. And there's other places you can do this other than the mound on City Field. Like right. you can run them over to Brooklyn and do that too. Like, yeah. You know the Mets do do that. Sometimes. And then you hear things like, "Well, he only threw, you know, seventy pitches, so they're going to run him out there on shorter rest." To me, it just seems like they don't really have an idea of what's going on here. No, and I feel like having no idea, setting him off fifteen d. Day DL, arm fatigue, just take a break and see what happens when he ramps back up. I <laughs> Is he actually better than Sean Gilmartin right now? So that's the thing. Is it is it worth letting him figure it out versus sitting him for a month where you just sit him for two weeks and then ramp him back up and in the interim run out, you know, Verrett or Gilmartin or Yanoa for a month? Yeah, I don't Robert- I don't know. Robert Gesellman came off the big ODL today, so maybe he did, he's, uh, he's pitching like, tonight. Still. I haven't looked at how he's doing. Yeah, um, uh, but those are all guys that are on the forty, and you can you know spot for three starts or whatever. I, I really don't know. It's and it's without... sort of gets, it gets into it. it's like one of my sort of mantras for this season are or was the Mets are dependent on pitcher health I guess I have to throw in slash effectiveness now because you assumed coming in that these pitchers would either be good or hurt are we assuming that Harvey's not hurt I don't know what we're assuming at this point I mean you saw it with Strasburg last year he was bad for two months and then sat for a month and then came back and was one of the best pitchers in baseball afterwards you know I I have talked to people that I would, I guess, call talent evaluators that think Harvey is hurt. Sure. I mean, that's like, it's, you don't see it, I mean, I understand that argument because you just simply, in general, don't see it disappear to this level. Not. I feel like, say, Corey Kluber, who's 
had his struggles the last two years since winning the Cy Young. Yeah. I mean, Kluber's issue is he's just in the zone so much that he's going to get hit on occasion. And say Dallas Keuchel in yeah. Houston, who's kind of going through the same pace. You know, Dallas Keuchel is a lower velocity guy that was living a lot more on the margins. Harvey was not really living on the margins. This is a guy that had, you know, four average or better major league pitches, several of them plus plus or better, um, great command, great mentality on the mound, had never really experienced any sort of sustained really anything but greatness. I mean, he wasn't like an up or down guy. He was just there really from the second he came up. Um, You know, he was really good all of last season, right down until his second to last inning, you know. I mean, really his last inning in the World Series. Well, yeah, I mean, mean, in the the AP to get knocked around, he got hit hard, I suppose. You know, and you know this was a, this was the guy that came out in Game Five of the World Series in an elimination game and just like super shoved. Yeah, and looked good all spring. There was no reason to be like these are the guys you want to be concerned about coming out of spring training. It was Degrom because uh-huh. his velocity was down. Familia's velocity was down. Yeah, but it wasn't really Harvey at any. And, and I point. mean, hey, Familia's back out there and he's throwing ninety eight, ninety nine with a ninety four split again. Yeah, yeah. Not he's not exactly what he was, but he it came back mostly. The slider hasn't come all the way back. But. Yeah, I do want to talk about that because that's my sort of my topic for this uh, episode is the bullpen. But before we get to that, something that's like it's like weirdly bothering me with Harvey is sort of the media narrative around him right now, and it becomes I, sort of like a moral. Like, you want to talk about mechanics? It's like sort of the moral failing versus mechanical failing. Like, DeGrom's kind of scraped by. I know he wasn't great today. And there might come a point in time where his ERA looks more like Harvey's, but I don't think sort of the conversation around him in the New York media will ever look like that. That's part of because what Harvey is and the stuff that they're not printing about Harvey. Sure. how it all looks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Jacob deGrom, when he talks to the media, gives a professional David Wright-sounding quote, gives them the quotes they need, and Matt Harvey, let's face it, can be a dick. And Matt Harvey can give them nothing and then go write an article in the Players' Tribune. There's much more of an adversarial relationship between Harvey and the local media than there is deGrom in the local media. I don't think that should matter, but it obviously it does. does. Yeah, sure. I, I get that. I, I would also say with Harvey, there's just like this intuition that there isn't with DeGrom. DeGrom's missing the high fastball. DeGrom mm. cannot get strikeouts on the high fastball right now. Whereas Harvey, like the entire thing doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right. Sure. I can agree with that. Without and, uh, making a, a moral judgment about it, though. Sure, it's not, you know. Yeah, that's not our job, certainly, but you gotta but, I mean, fill your column inches. You know, that the Matt Harvey is a party animal that's not staying in shape has been around since the 2014 rehab year. Yeah. I mean, that's not a new narrative. You had in his ESPN E60 thing, that was a complaint of the Mets. 
um, that he wanted to hang out and party in New York as opposed to going down and doing his rehab in beautiful Port St. Louis. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> the fried fish there is excellent, though, I will say. Yeah. Um, There's not much else to recommend, but... Yeah, Duffy's is cool, like, the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It's Lola's and yeah. Vine and Barley are pretty much it for me. Yeah, Vine and Barley's pretty good. Yeah. Also pretty good this year, the Mets bullpen. Yes. Yeah. So we'll give you more numbers. You have a 2.44 ERA and a 2.65 FIP, both of which are the best in baseball right now, Jarrett. And I'm going to give you a quick quiz. Who has the lowest strikeout percentage right now in the Mets bullpen? See, the problem is this is on our outline, so I actually know oh, yeah, the you answer. know the answer. I sent you the outline. Fuck. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's Jairus Familia. It is Jairus Familia. Yeah. He also has the second lowest K percentage minus walk percentage for you Saberheads behind only Antonio Bastardo because Antonio Bastardo is a little bit boomer bust, which is fine. Whatever. But here's the thing. Both of those guys have actually been, like, really good over yeah, the first Yeah, sure. It's, it's great. Yeah, Familia's not walking anybody, and he's getting more ground balls than he's gotten in the past, despite a K percentage that is closer to 2014 than 2015. No. I don't know. It's just like we don't know how to build bullpens, I feel like. I actually wrote an article about this for BP Mets about three weeks ago. About you did? this specific bullpen mm. and um, how all these guys basically were acquired. And it's... It's pretty representative. You've got some failed starting prospects that were pretty good. Um, you've got a couple reclamation projects. You've got Addison Reed, who is one of the top relief prospects of like the last 10 yeah, years yeah. and then failed and then became a reclamation project. Right. So the whole thing with Alderson, since he really took over in 2011, is he hasn't been able to build a, a quality bullpen. So that first offseason, you know, they signed Frank Frank, they signed John Rauch, they traded Pagan for Ramon Ramirez, and that didn't work, as we know. So the next year, they tried sort of the the budget strategy, like seeing who fell in January, but maybe had a track record. You can call them reclamation projects if you want, but you know, like Brandon Lyon and Atchison and those kind of guys. When you look at the guys he actually has success with, they were sort of internally <laughs> developed failed starters. You know, the Bobby Parnells, the Henry Mejias, the Jairus Familias. And what it comes down to is you just can't know what these guys are going to do for the next 60 innings. Like, if you look at the bullpen they put together this year, like, all of those categories are well represented. You know, Addison Reed, as you said, is essentially a reclamation project. You know, he was... Waiver trade guy. Waiver trade guy was spent time in AAA that season. Acquired for a prospect who the Mets would not have added to their 40-man, although he did get added to the Arizona 40-man, which says more about the Arizona 40-man than the Mets. You know, Jim Um, Henderson, who was basically an NRI. But this, those two guys are also. You can get a guy with ninety five that flashes a plus slider for basically nothing now. Yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, and if you look at sort of like, if you want to find guys in sort of the Parnell Mejia Familia vein, you know, mm-hmm. Hansel Robles was a starter really up until Double A. Yeah, 
And they did. They went out and spent money this offseason. You know, they paid for Jerry Blevins and Antonio Bastardo. Sure. So they've done all the things they've done in the past. They've just worked. It's about identifying the right guys. Yeah, I, that, and part of this is you wonder, um, and not to... I'm going to do a reverse hashtag Omar's team here. <laughs> there may just not have been the guys internally to fill when Sandy took over. That meant building up that bullpen depth internally appears to have taken four or five years. Well, I mean, if you look at the guys behind sort of the depth behind the current bullpen, it's yeah. guys like Josh Smoker, who was an indie ball find by this administration. You know, yes. Eric Goodell, who was a 2009 draft pick. So I guess that if you want to go hashtag Omar's team there, you can. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gil Martin was a Rule 5 draft pick by this organization. Rafael Montero was an international free agent signing by this organization. Yeah, you know, uh, didn't really even surface until this administration took over. You know, he was signed by Omar and company. Yeah, I mean, Omar and company signed some of these guys, but this is really the Alderson developmental team. Mm -hmm. The Mets have been much better at developing pitchers, even the ones acquired under Omar, under this administration. Like, a gazillion times better. It's the whole, they all magically have 60 sliders out of nowhere. So for you, this is the best bullpen in baseball right now. Yeah. But who's sort of the, if somebody's going to fall apart here, who is it for you? My assumption is that Jim Henderson's arm is going to fall yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, sure. I mean, Henderson's shoulder is the that's like paper tiger here, but that's yeah, that's like the gimme. But there's at least a track record here. I mean, he's done this before. He was a closer and a pretty good one for the Brewers back in the day, which the day being like 2012 or whatever, because of the shelf life of these guys. I think for me, it's Hansel Robles, and I'm going to just keep being. And I've always liked Hansel Robles yeah. as a prospect. It's a funny thing. Yeah, but he's like a one pitch guy. But it's he flashes a, he flashes yeah, a slider. Yeah, he'll flash he it. But he's like a he's a one pitch plus fastball righty with a low arm slot, and that guy has a use in a major league pen. I just don't think it's going to continue to be as good as it has been. But the use actually basically is how they're using him. He's basically been a medium leverage middle reliever. Yeah, I guess that's fine. Um, they haven't, you know, he's had to come in a couple of times into tight spots because nobody else was available, but they're using him as like the sixth best guy in the pen. Like yeah. that's their usage of him. He's behind Henderson. He's behind Bastardo. He's behind Reed. He's behind Blevins. And yeah, Bastardo, I think is what he is. Yeah. You know, he's always going to be the guy that's going to miss enough bats to get by despite the occasional meltdown, which I witnessed on Wednesday. <laughs> Yeah, and he's a crossover guy. Which is yeah, like, yeah, which is nice. He can face lefties and righties. and Even Familia, who I've been a little bit concerned about, he seems to be rounding into some sort of form. Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm writing a longer piece about him for BP Mets coming up in the coming weeks. But, you know, in May, he's post 28% K rate. He hasn't walked anybody. I know I'm now I'm talking about month-by-month reliever splits on the podcast, which goes against everything I stand for. But I think, you know, at worst, the downside here is something like 2014 Familia, which is still a perfectly cromulent major league closer. I had a lot more concern about Familia in April when it was like the only thing he was throwing was like 94, 95 and kind of not great. But he's he high wire acted his way through that. And the last three to four weeks he's looked pretty good 
And you can always, this is kind of a thing where they have some depth, and you can always fortify this at the deadline if you need, like, a seventh inning guy. Especially if you can identify the Addison Reed that you can sure. stick with Dan Worthen. <laughs> Here, and, throw this slider. <laughs> yeah, reclaim his slider back, because he had flashed this kind of really high-end slider as a prospect in early in his career with the White Sox, and then it all went to hell. You know, if you can identify that guy, get him in with Dan Worthen and turn him into like a top 10 reliever in baseball, that becomes much easier. That's not a bad player development strategy as the, player development strategies go. The downside of that is that sometimes you're going to end up with Eric O'Flaherty. Yeah, or, uh, I don't know, Ramon Ramirez. You know, there were there were people very critical of the decision to take on Addison Reed and insert him into high leverage mm, roles. Because yes. he, had looked, he had looked pretty bad for a while. Yeah. For um, relievers, man, you don't project... Or predict the next 16 days of a reliever. At least I don't. Uh, hopefully someone in the Mets organization is. They seem to be doing a pretty good job. They are right now. Knock on wood. Yeah. So now we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk to our colleague at BP Mets, Eric Malinowski, about other Mets-related things and how we probably shouldn't tweet about this podcast. Joining the podcast now, he writes at BP Met and roughly 700 other sites on the internet when he's not insisting that all of us not tweet. It's Eric Malinowski. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? I, I don't know. So I didn't really have a – I mean, I <laughs> emailed really you. Question. We didn't really have an agenda for this per se. Right. But so my confession is I – recently ordered the clark toys bartolo cologne home run bobblehead as you as you as you as one do does, but i don't know how to, to feel about this now like i want you him. also order the the tops card i have five of the tops cards actually sitting on my desk right now they're right in front of me <laughs> i haven't I unpacked mine yet but yeah I they just have. showed up today so i have my five bartolo cologne home run tops cards and while i was there i or i ordered like a full uh 10 by 12 Wilmer Flores walk-off home run poster. Well, this doesn't surprise me. Well, they only they only made 99 of them, I guess. <laughs> no, and, it gets better. And yeah, so mine came like watermarked with like the number. And uh-huh. it's like one of 99. So no one else had ordered it before me. <laughs> well, wait a second. Do you think that you literally got the first one? I mean, or... I would assume so. Was Unless it just like a like, random shuffle like, and you I mean, just that, you, you picked the lucky one? So the likelihood is so I would have a 1.01% chance of randomly right. getting one of 99. I feel like Occam's Razor suggested that just nobody else ordered it before me. And you were probably the first one. Yeah, probably the first one. I wonder if they have like a stack of them waiting to go out or whether they print them on demand. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really I don't get into it. the... This is something we should have asked David Roth when he was on, because he used to work for Tops. We should have. It didn't, come, be it didn't come up at the time. Though. I mean, it was I mean, after Bartholo Colon had hit a home run, so... Where are you going to put that? 
The poster, I'm going to have it framed and yeah. put above my desk, probably. Okay. As I'm thinking maybe like foyer or yeah. uh, something near the, you know, when to greet visitors as they come to your That's not a abode. bad idea, yeah. That's basically where I have the majority of my stuff, yeah. but then again, I also live in a one-bedroom apartment, so. I mean, the cologne bobbleheads probably gonna go on my desk at work with all my other bobbleheads, but I feel, I don't know, should I feel weird about owning this knowing that he has a secret family? Right, so this is obvious. This is a uh, this is all impacted by recent revelations. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. I've been trying to wrap my brain around it. I feel like um, I feel like we've sort of moved on pretty quickly from this. Well, I mean, like, sort of I feel like, like there wasn't a lot of discussion. Yeah, I you know, mean, there post, was a lot of feeling out with this process. Post sort of tabloid hysteria aside. It doesn't sound like I don't know. It's it it feels more like a weird, awkward personal thing than a. I mean, it was actually really weird how the disclosure came about, right? I mean, because he was representing himself in court as a right, lawyer, right? Which makes me think like that's a pretty screwed up way for like something to be like you know this isn't investigative journalism at its <laughs> highest level, right? I mean, this that's just. That's just, you know, That's unlucky the water there. Right, exactly. And it's also it's the New York Post. But but it's a fact. It's a true fact. It happened. Sure. Um, that's it, how they found out. But, um, yeah, I mean, but that also makes me feel like, like, what are the other screwy things that we never hear about because of, like, dumb little disclosures and documents, you know? I mean, it's like, we found out about that way. What else is out there, you know? I mean, you hear rumors and stuff. There, I... I had never heard a rumor about Bartolo Colon's secret family, I will say that. <laughs> there you but go. supposedly there were more details that leaked out later, and apparently he has a relationship with these kids, and he has been at least somewhat <laughs> financially supportive, and this was a period in which him and his wife were separated or whatever, so it's not, like, as bad as it initially seemed. I mean, this isn't, like, Upton Sinclair breaking, like, the story of Factory meat production in the 1920s (laughs) yeah this is bad but it's not yeah this is a baseball player with road beef to be blunt yeah i mean baseball players have a very long (laughs) yeah baseball players have a very long history of being like doing bad things doing unsavory things being bad people in a lot of ways um i guess it just depends on like sort of what your personal like like you have like sort of an internal hierarchy and like where you would i guess rank this i don't know i mean i mean you yeah, sort of want not good the, the image of bartolo cologne to be but like what is that image is the other yeah. thing and it's it's like because now like the whole hashtag brand is like big sexy yeah, yeah. you know and he has a secret family <laughs> on the side like that's it's probably a pretty close to home, I'm thinking, you know, like, way to nail that one, guys. Good job. But, I mean, Jared, you wrote about this at, at sort of BP Mets for your flash fiction. It's sort of Bartolo <laughs> Colon is like suburban <laughs> soccer worst, dad. <laughs> Not good timing. The <laughs> article of my brief career. Um, yeah, it just kind of... And they had built that image. That sure. was an image that they had been trying to build. Um, and... 
you know, there's obviously some stuff. I had also written kind of a Bartolo Colon retrospective for BP Mets after the home run um, a couple of weeks ago. And there's definitely some stuff in there that isn't great. He had problems in Boston um, with the organization. Now, lots of people have problems in Boston with the organization, but that's something that happened. He had a problem with Ozzie Guillen in Chicago. Again, lots of people have problems with Ozzie Guillen, but it did happen. He did test positive for steroids once. He was involved with biogenesis. He was, he had that weird thing with HGH that just kind of went away because he wasn't an active major leaguer at the time. So there are, there are more black marks on the Bartolo Colon record than I think kind of the pat narrative that he became like the leader and the best clubhouse guy in the history of the universe that had kind of developed over the last three years. And that can all certainly, that narrative can coexist with the other one. Sure. Because it's baseball. Like these guys, I don't want to say these guys to be my friend or have a drink with me, but the timing's just awkward because I really want that fucking bobblehead. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's safe to say that my opinion of Bartolo Colon has, like, changed in some appreciable way going forward. Like, I don't, like, I guess these are not the sorts of things that I I guess I forget. It kind of colors my opinion. On the other hand, it's like, I just only have so much, like, my reservoir of, like, personal outrage. Like, I kind of save that for, like, I think the really important things. You know, I guess, like, again, it's not like, I'm not trying to, like, you know, say that this is not important, but I'm saying like, you know, uh, things like domestic violence and assault and loss of life and things like that. And it's like, I just, there are so many other things. I don't know, like this has happened and it is what it is. Like you said, like my opinion has changed going forward, but like, I just can't, like this can't be like the sort of thing that like keeps me up at night or like just really like worries me too much. Like, I, that's not for me. That's not really going to change anything. And you know, like you said, like I guess he's kind of a dad. Like he's in this kid's life. You know, I mean, he's. I, well, I guess he kind of fell behind, and that's kind of where this whole lawsuit came from with his child payments or whatever. And being a deadbeat dad is not good. I'm a dad. I think dead being a deadbeat dad is a bad thing. Very bad thing. Oh. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, it's it's not the worst possible thing you could. Which is a terrible, a terrible way. It's like, well, it's not the worst thing you could have done, but. It's not the I, worst thing. I will say, you know, I did do family law for a little while, a few months at least, and it's not unusual for this kind of legal action to exist in a non-deadbeat situation. It could just be sure. that they disagreed over the amount of money. It's that right. it's not without seeing the filings and knowing exactly what's going on. It, it's anything from. They had a slight disagreement over money to they just wanted it court certified to it could be a deadbeat dad situation. You really don't know. We don't have enough information to know that. Well, I mean, Eric, you're writing about – I'll get a cheap plug in here for you. You're writing about a book about the Golden State Warriors right now. I mean how do you sort of – like the sort of the recent revelations about Stephen Curry, how do you sort of integrate that into your fandom? You mean like with the church and the North Carolina law? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because we, you know, I mean, we all know this is sort of how sports works to a certain extent. We build these guys up, and after a while, the the, the sheen starts to come off. You know, there's just inevitably some things that get revealed, and and then fans kind of have to deal with that on their own terms. I, you know, I mean, 
that's the screwed up thing about each situation. Well, especially with the thing with Curry is that I'm sure there's some people that like agreed with those beliefs and they heard that that it came out and I'm sure that that like in some weird warped way like kind of bolstered their support for him. But I think the majority of people like are are tolerant and, and they you know did, did think that discrimination is a terrible, disgusting thing. So a lot of people were kind of outraged by that. It matters a lot, I think, in how their immediate sort of responses. Um, and I think that his response was pretty adequate. I mean, it certainly didn't like balloon or mushroom into something that, you know, kind of snowballed. I mean, it, it happened and it was, I think it was good that it was brought out into the open and I think it was good that he addressed it and he'll probably have to address it more later. Um, but I think that he sort of diffused it for now, but you know, these, these things happen. I mean, it's like the people make these connections and, He's got to answer for that, and that's his personal responsibility. But yeah, athletes are not perfect. <laughs> they're sometimes they're pretty screwed up, and or they find themselves in screwed up situations. And I think the bottom line is just kind of how they respond to it, and each case is different. I think the Mets saw it last year too with Daniel Murphy. I know, yeah, the exactly. Whole story that came out with sort of Andy Martino pressing Murphy on gay marriage after Billy Bean came and spoke to them, and it's like. I noticed that sort of popping up on Twitter during his run in the playoff with other fan bases sort of taking shots at Murphy for his, you know, religious slash political beliefs. But it comes down to like, do you really want, you know, for whatever fan base you might represent, do you really want like a, a media member going in there and polling the entire locker room on their personal beliefs on gay marriage? Like, how's that going to come out for you as a fan? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, these, these things affect athletes in different ways. They thought, you know, it's, you know, the thing with Murph, it, it was what it was and it kind of, everyone kind of moved on. And, but again, it's also not the kind of thing that people really forget. You know, I mean, I remember growing up, like I always like had a very clear, I think, you know, again, it was like, we, we kind of really only heard about the really bad stuff kind of like, you know, like sort of in the pre-internet days when I was growing up and it was like, we always heard about like when an athlete or, or even like a manager or someone like was accused of, you know, uh, domestic assault, you know, and, uh, that was just kind of like a mental list that I just kind of like kept in my head over the years. And like you, your opinion like permanently changes of these people. So I don't know. I think just nowadays also with the internet and reporting and everything, it's like, there's more ways for this information to come out and, and it does. And, you know, it's like, it's just, it just adds a whole nother level to like, you know, don't, you know, don't don't have any heroes you know because in a way they'll inevitably disappoint you i think you just have to hope that it's not that bad <laughs> i mean has your opinion meaningfully changed about Bartolo cologne over the last two weeks i mean yes but i think sort of like in an interim kind of way i, I it's it's like i don't know it's like a sliding scale it, it had it didn't peak too badly and eventually it'll sort of peter out but like yeah, I mean, like, it's a thing that I'm not going to forget. And I don't think that it's a thing that really, like, anybody's going to forget. But I do think that, like, sort of on the rank scale of, like, offenses that a major athlete could make, like, I think it's a thing that most people are going to, like, be able to sort of gloss over in their mind. And I think, like, we've kind of already seen that over the last few days. I mean, I do think that, like, sort of the public discussion, like, I, I, I saw it, like, I saw people tweeting about it, and I saw, you know, it was people tweeting out the New York Post link and sort of appending, like, ugh, 
or like, can't believe this or something like that. But, it, you know, it wasn't like a substantive discussion about, you know, uh, dads and, you know, child support payments or whatever. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was just like a deep exhale. I can't believe this guy did this. This and is I think why that, we like, can't for have the most nice part, things. Like, we've all kind of moved on already for the most part. Exactly. And it was just like sort of like on the very sort of low tier of that ladder, I think. Anyway, it's Bartolo. I think he's built up a lot of, you know, he's built up a lot of goodwill. And I think in this case, that's really going to be to his benefit. I think you should enjoy your bobblehead is the bottom line. I will when eventually (laughs) it comes. On to happier topics. The Mets walked off against Milwaukee this evening. Off the bat of David Wright, who is... That was uh, fun. I, it was. It was great. They let him swing 3-0. and And he has um, been, at, in his past, a very good hitter. So, go ahead, he Jared. He apparently had a stop sign and He just swung it. anyway, yeah. Well, he's David Wright. He's the captain. He can do what he wants. Um, yes. And, but imagine if he had grabbed into a double play. Though. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, my God. There will be some takes. I mean... A lot of flame emojis that was and his a lot first, of takes. That was his first RBI on a 3-0 count since 2007. Yeah. I feel like that's a misleading like, stat, Eric, because they don't get a lot of swings. A lot of green yeah. lights on 3-0. and I don't think Gary Manuel I, was giving him the 3-0 uh, <laughs> swing side. I, I was at the game, full disclosure. There was one thing that I did notice I thought was kind of funny, which was that Kirk Newenheis at least had a shot to catch the ball and was like, just shit, I give up. Because obviously <laughs> the, run was, the run was obviously going to score anyway on a sack fly. So it was almost like you could do the calculus in your head. And like, yeah, let's just have him get the hit. For, for one nice. moment, he, he became like the shruggy emoticon, mm-hmm. like just in center field. Yeah, I mean, it would it would have taken a really good play, but it was just like, yeah, this isn't happening. Let's just let it drop. Is that? I mean, do we think that that is going to be like the last really cool David Wright moment? I mean, is it too? It's like possible. not to be the buzzkill, but I'll be the buzzkill. Yeah, I mean, I it's mean, possible. Are we prepared I, for that possibility or even that inevitability? So this is like the third one that could have been the last one. The first one was the homer in the first. The first one was the homer in the first at bat back, and then there was the homer in the World Series, and now there's this. Um, Yeah. If you listen to what they've been saying, it ain't good, and it doesn't sound like he's playing out the length of his contract. That's for sure. Um, There's a lot of really concerning quotes, both from Wright and the team, about how he's can't get loose and even on good days what what we're calling good days are actually bad he was a late scratch the other night it's not great um i hope it i hope it's not but i'm also saving my ticket stub that's what i'll say unfortunately you know eric campbell is there to uh (laughs) pop in that kind of stuff happens super utility eric campbell yeah Two for four today. Two two ground ball singles past a mid thirties Aaron Hill. <laughs> I I I'm watched sure the, exit velocity I watched the was game good, and yet though. I don't believe you. I don't believe you had two hits. It, it, it's utterly impossible. Both both of them would have had a chance against a better second baseman. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, it really like it really felt really good just to see 
David Wright swing the bat one more time and like something really great happen. That was that that hit me on like a very core level, you know. And like I just I don't know. I feel like maybe this is like maybe you know you said this is the third one and maybe this is finally it. I'm I'm I guess I'm kind of okay with that. I don't know. Like I've 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 sort of come to peace with the fact that like are like you know there's there's some sort of internal invisible countdown clock and we're getting really really close to zero as it pertains to to David and I don't know I guess I've come to peace with that or is are like if that's the last game that he played are we are we okay with that I mean are we just kind of running out the clock here I I don't know um I have I mean we're all kind of around the same age like yeah. David Wright is like the Mets franchise player for us. You know, mm-hmm. we're all too young to have seen Tom Seaver. Um, good Doc and Strawberry both left. Like it, you know, Jose Reyes left and then turned out to be one of the really bad guys from the Bartolo Colon discussion. <laughs> um, as it turns out, um, you certainly hope that David Wright is not that we've never had any indication that he is that. And, you know, there were some troubling signs with Reyes along the way that perhaps never existed for Wright um, when we start talking about rumors and uh-huh. stuff. I, I just, I I don't want it to be the end, but I'm also really... But it looks I'm, so bad right now. I, yeah, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, really afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid that the end is going to be really, really ugly. Like, I was there on, on Wednesday at a fairly good vantage point for a major league game, like, similar to what I would similar to where I would sit for a minor league game. And I was watching right against, you know, Gio Gonzalez, who at this point does not have an average major league fastball, even from the left side. And it just looks like a slider speed bat. He's cheating with his hands. It just doesn't look good. That kind of lefty is the kind of guy he kills. Yeah. That's why he has a 1000 OPS against lefties. Right. Like historically has been like the best hitter in baseball against that specific (laughs) brand of pitcher. Like he just murders those guys. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, it's like when he stops hitting Tom Kohler, there's a problem. I, the the pregame shows I was driving in today, I'm on the radio kind of, floated the idea of if Duda is hurt, that Wright may end up at first base. I can't even really... So my my concern with that has always been with the back issue, can he make the stretches you need to make at first base? Right. Because third base is very much like a reactive position. Yeah, but he can't throw anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's (laughs) certainly an issue, but... (laughs) <laughs> can he make I mean, like a long stretch to his backhand side with his back the way it is? It's it's not for the like, same reason. Say what you will about Lucas Duda. Lucas Duda can do a full split on the infield. Lucas Duda is far more flexible than I am. Yeah, but I mean the Brewers are also running Chris Carter out there who yeah, can't sure. do any of this stuff either. So like there are teams that just run those guys out yeah, there. Yeah, Chris deal. Carter's tall though. David Wright's not tall. I, I, I'm not. I say, I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm not saying it's they're going to do it, but it's something that out of an official Mets channel is being floated now, which may also tell you something about Lucas Duda's back. Yeah, I mean he's not going to be able to play third. Man, things forever. just felt like they were going so well about <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> 
holy cow but this stuff was all this stuff was all kind of lurking in the background like right yeah. Wright's been on borrowed time since at least this time last year. Like last year, he pulled a hamstring and it took him three and a half months to get healthy. Uh, I. What would you be I mean, okay if this side, was the if end? We're not ready to. Yeah, I mean, I, I like every game. I mean, just kind of feels like. It just feels like gravy at this point. I don't know. Like I, I don't even know what it is. I, I just sort of came to peace with this. I guess last year, like last year, I think was like really sort of traumatic as far as my David Wright fandom goes, and the fact that he even made the comeback, that he completed it. The, I mean, the home run in Philadelphia. I mean, that's certainly not a thing that I think any of us are going to really ever forget. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just feel like we've just been on borrowed time pretty much since like I guess spring training or April of last season. I. Uh, I'm okay. I, and now I'm just sort of reading myself for, like, David Wright, like, bench cheerleader. Like, David Wright to be, like, the next one you're reading. You know? I think like, David Wright uh, advertising the next Fedora Day in July. <laughs> oh, God. Like Kandire did last say year. To this. Who would say no? Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's been a really good run. It's been amazing. It's given us so many good moments. Uh, he finally got to the World Series. He had a World Series moment. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like the end of Babe. It's like, that'll do, pig, that'll do. <laughs> like, that's exactly how I feel about David Wright at this point. So we're about so like six... patting him on the head saying, that'll do, David, that'll do. So we're about <laughs> six weeks into the season. What's your biggest takeaway from the 2016 Mets so far? Um, that they're not... So far, I think it's that the pitching is not. I mean, I think the pitching is going to be good enough to cover up for the defense. Like that was kind of like my big concern. Um, but yeah, the defense is not good. <laughs> the defense really gives me agita. It's not. Uh, I don't know. I just. I feel like they they're just not hitting enough to cover. I think the pitching is covering up for the defense, but I don't feel like the hitting is quite doing what it needs to do just yet. And. I'm just like sort of a natural like nervous Nelly when it comes to hitting. Like I very like that is where like my panic city resonance is, is like when the hitting doesn't come. I feel like the pitching is gonna be there with this team, but like when they're just not hitting the ball enough. Um and I feel like they're just barely hitting enough right now, but they need to be hitting more. And everyone just keeps seems keep like falling apart at this point. In the so, bottom of their order is Eric Campbell, Renee Rivera in the pitcher spot, you're not feeling inspired. No, I mean shockingly. I mean, yeah, it's just it doesn't uh it just doesn't fill me with like an internal sort of well of confidence. It's not uh it's not a really good feeling that it engenders. So, I don't know. I I've been letting too much of the panic city creep in earlier uh, early in the season and I need to cut that crap out. And I don't know. I think that's easier said than done at this point. I mean, it probably doesn't help that like Daniel Murphy's hitting 390 or whatever. I mean, like <laughs> I mean, the, like, Neil Walker, like, did a yeah, really yeah, sure. good job of, like, pushing all of that aside earlier in the season. And it's like, as things do, all players cool down. Except Daniel Murphy. Um, and it just feels like everybody has cooled down, like, at pretty much the same time, you know? Like, I miss, like, the, you know, Michael Conforto, you know, productive, you know, three for four kind of days. And I feel like those feel like an eternity ago when they were only, like, 65 at-bats ago. Um 
So, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's like, it's a weird sort of ebb and flow at this point, and you just feel like everyone's sort of ebbing at the same time. Yeah, they're ebbing, uh, and they need to start flowing. So, but they will, they will. I think they will. It'll be fine. This is fine. <laughs> dot JPEG. Um, I getting mean, a little hot in there. For, It'll be okay. For all we're convincing, as we record this, they're game and a half out of first place. Like you yeah, know, I know. Not, what am I even yeah. talking about? Holy God, man! I am fun at parties. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You'll be okay. Why? What's What's your guys' biggest takeaway for the season? I my I mean we Long talked stopping. about this in the first segment, but Matt Harvey is just like looks like a disaster right now, and I don't know if it's coming. I like back. the way Scott Boris. I like the way Scott Boris thinks that like he's going to bounce back just the way Steven Strasburg did. Yeah, so. I mean it says it happens. That's great. I sure hope can, I up, can I sign up for that now? Yeah. What's the prop bet on that? Can I can I bet the futures on that? Hmm. Yeah. Or not. Hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. Well, Stephen Matz, okay Matz is fine after they injected whatever into his elbow. That was a really stressful tour, like, wasn't it? Yeah, it was monkey really blood or whatever it was. I mean, it's probably Toradol, Second it time might have John also surgery. been monkey blood. Staring it right in the face. That's why we uh, love the Mets. Hashtag love the Do Mets. Do we think I that Matt's is? I mean, we're, we feel confident. He looks fine for. We feel like Matt. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. No, no, pitchers, man. He, yeah, I mean, he his first start back, he looked fine, but he's always looked fine. It's yeah, he's either been good or unavailable. Yeah, I mean, he missed three years with Tommy John <laughs> surgery. There were issues. They thought he was going to need a second one. There was, Things like, happen. rumors he was going to retire after the uh, 2012 yeah. season, I think. He's, he's Retired had a, a long arm. He had a bulky arm in the low minors even after he came back. He had the whole lat thing last year. He's, I mean, this is, it's probably just, He's probably going to be a guy that needs maintenance every now and then, and you hope it's nothing more. You know what I look forward to? I look forward to the fact that we are six weeks away from Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Well, there are <laughs> about that. A little bit. Um, now it's early to mid-July instead of July first. So, we July 1st, those uh, fall under early to mid July. We'll it's in the range. Yes. I, I think August is. They're not going to bring him back before 15 months. Why would you do that? What would 15 months be? That would be. I guess that would isn't be that Ju- July? It'd be July 1st, like start rehab. Yeah. Probably right. 16 to get him up. So, like August 1st. Yeah. Which is fine. That's fine. He had the surgery on March 25th, so right. mm-hmm. it would be getting him going towards the end of June, probably up in mid-July, which kind of sounds like what they're going to do. So yeah, Maybe, we'll see. Okay. I don't know. So you yeah. can what, like 12 starts in rest of the season, something like that? <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, like where's the spot for him right now? Matt Harvest? Yeah, Matt Harvest. 
Yeah. CBD? I mean, that is the answer. <laughs> there, there will probably be some spot available at that point, because there usually is. Because pitchers break, that's what they do. Well, except Bartolo. Except Bartolo. Oh, Bartolo broke for like five years, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah, he's already had his break, though. Yeah, yeah he's, fine. He's, he's yeah. fine. <laughs> he broke at like 35 and then was fine by 40. <sighs> Eric Malinowski. You can find him on the on Twitter at Eric Mal, where you probably shouldn't tweet him because you probably shouldn't tweet. You can also follow find him at BP Mets. Where else are you writing right now? Um covering the Golden State Warriors playoff run for Sports on Earth. And uh that's pretty much it. That's After much that, it. just writing the book. Writing the book. Yeah. Fun well, times. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We'll uh, it'll be more positive next time. <laughs> now it's time to answer your emails and also take your Facebook queries because Jarrett thought that was a good idea. But before we do all that, we will do our housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there, the official podcast of Baseball Prospectus Mets. You can find us on the internet at baseballprospectus.com and more specifically on mets.local.baseballprospectus.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for For All You Kids Out There and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. We also have a Facebook group. I still haven't bothered to write down the actual string of numbers that follows facebook.com slash group slash whatever. But just search for, for all you kids out there on Facebook. You can find us easily enough. You can also find us on Twitter at for all you kids. You can find Jarrett and myself specifically on Twitter at J.A. Seidler and at Jeff Paternostro. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails plus whatever you wrote on Facebook, which I have to pull up my phone now. But you can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectives.com, and I guess we'll start there. We have an email from Liam Jarrett. Hello there, Jeff and Jarrett. I'm going to start off asking for a hot take. Well, that's a bad start, Liam. <laughs> this is a sober, rational podcast about the Mets. Can you give a quick guesstimate of how long, cumulatively, the top four of the Mets rotation will be on the DL this year? Oh, jeez. So we're talking Syndergaard, Mats, DeGrom, and Harvey here, obviously. Well, we just suggested that Harvey might want the Phantom DL state at some yeah, point. Yeah, for a month so let's, or something. Let's, let's give him 30 let's, days. Yeah. Um... I, I feel like between Syndergaard and Mats, you're probably going to get a six-week injury somewhere. In I feel there. like Just... Mats is definitely getting a 15-day sin at some point yeah. for a um, hip, groin, back, or lat thing. So, let's... Um, I, I'm going to put it at two months. Total. Two months? You don't think two months? That's not bad. I'd probably sign up for that right now. Yeah, I, that's kind of where I'd stick the over-under, but... I mean, you could easily, one of these guys could go down for the season. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, they're right. pitchers, and yeah. that happens. Now um, settling into happier conversation, I wanted to ask how you think the rest of the well, season... Well, it was happier. 
It was happier. It was happier up until like about seven hours ago. How the rest of the season will treat Lucas Duda. I think he yeah. is quote unquote good. However, am I afraid that people are going to think that he is not good? Is this bad? I think I used too many quotes. Uh, one thing you don't have to put in quotes here, Liam, is herniated disc. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Lucas Duda might be out for you know a while. Quote, a while in quotes, perhaps meaning the rest of the season, or essentially so. But we'll find that out. So maybe let's kind of stick this. Yeah. In, I mean, I think I think when he's been healthy, he's been fine. Yeah. If you want to look at a guy um, that's been unlucky by a BABIP, like his underlying peripherals have been Lucas Duda E. Yeah. Um, there was, yeah. Um, Lucas Duda has probably been a little bit unlucky. Yeah. Let's not go into it any further than that. Sure. Also, <laughs> is Ioannis Cespedes' current performance sustainable despite some flubs in the field? He's been as good as advertised. I'm just not sure a 28% home run per fly ball late is ever sustainable. Who knows? The guy rides horses into spring training. It's very on-brand for you, Jarrett. So what's your take on this? I mean, he's probably not going to slug 650 just because oh, I, sure. I'm not I'm not sure short of Bryce Harper I would bet, or maybe Giancarlo Stanton I would bet on anybody to be able to slug 650 for any sustainable length of time. Um, so between 2015 and 2016, you know, he, he did slug you know, 604 for the Mets last year, 542 overall. I mean, it, it, he's definitely made some kind of a leap. Um, I guess the question is basically whether he's made a leap to like a 900 OPS guy or a 1,000 OPS guy. Yeah. Um, I would suggest that the 900 OPS is probably a lot more sustainable. Um, he's probably going to backslide a little bit. But hey, it does seem like he's made legitimate strides in plate discipline. And, you know, he has been making better contact. He used to make an awful lot of, like, really weird, weak contact. And now even his bad... I mean, he hit one out today that I thought was going to be, like, a 30-row-deep third baseline pop-out, and it ended up staying fair and going out. Um, And that's... You know, that's... He's he's turned some kind of corner. I, I don't... I I don't think he's going to keep this up exactly, but you know he might hit two eighty. And I was going to put you on the spot for his final a... line, so give it to me. Uh, including what he's already banked. Yeah, yeah, sure, uh, of course. You know, uh, what's his two, final triple slash at the end of the season? Two eighty, three forty five, five ninety. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah, I mean, that's MVP conversation. Yeah, sure. And he's going to have, and everybody's going to want to narratively give him the MVP if he does that and the Mets make the playoffs because of last year. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, too. Love the new pod, Liam, formerly in Philly. P.S. You get to have a barbecue with any five players in the league. Who cooks? Who grabs the beer? Who passes out drunk? Can I just get Yohannes Cespedes five times? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he's obviously the cook, right? Right, I mean, the, I mean... There's plenty of directions. Baseball is still somewhat a very rural sport. Yeah. So I feel like there's multiple directions you can go here. I mean, I feel like I definitely want Noah Syndergaard there, perhaps in one of the grab-the-beer roles. Yeah, sure. I don't, um, I don't know if I can drink that much, like, Shinerbach, though. Yeah. Um, you have more of a refined alcohol palate. Yeah, than, yeah I like Shinerbach fine. Um, I mean, we're not limited to Mets here, I feel like. This is any five players in the league. 
I'm just I'm trying to you think Mike of people Trout to make sure it's not going to rain. I feel like hanging out with Mike Trout would be really boring. I mean, like, you're I just from that like... area of Jersey, so you have a I'm, hey, idea. I'm, not from, I'm not from that area of Jersey. That's that's a different area of Jersey. <laughs> okay. That's a special area of Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm from the non-existent Central Jersey. Um, I live north of 195, so I'm from North Jersey, really. Gotcha. Uh, I know there's just like a lot of like internal politics that go into North versus South Jersey. Oh, we we could do a whole informed, so. Yeah. We could do a whole podcast on that. I call it Taylor Ham, not Pork Roll. Okay. Uh, nobody will get that except for people from Jersey. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, Trout just seems like... Does Trout seem like he has any kind of personality when no, he's not talking not. about... Yeah. When he's talking about weather, he does. He's very excited, yes. Bryce Harper might be interesting, but Bryce Harper apparently doesn't drink. Yeah, so. I mean, who's the guy you really want to sit down and have a beer with in Major League Baseball right now? I mean, the strange thing is that the we haven't brought up Bartolo Colon yet, which gets into what we were talking about with Eric just now. Yeah. Because you know? I feel like a week ago that would have been the answer. Sure. Um, which might be a little bit telling. I mean, um, um, Sean Doolittle, I think. Yeah, so. sure. Brandon uh, McCarthy. Um, it gets a little hipster barbecue, but sure, whatever. Yeah, I, you know, so... Like, the guys that seem like they're really cool on Twitter, Jerry Blevins, maybe? Yeah, Colin McHugh. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean... I'm I'm trying to... I mean, Cespedes feels like the uh, obvious barbecuing choice, so... Sure, and he... You know, he apparently actually does have a personality privately or sure so now move to your facebook questions you ready for this jared can't believe we're doing this okay okay we'll start with our good friend brady and i'm gonna just pass this one over to you Okay, so Brady asked us, what does Michael Bisping do after he loses to Luke Rockhold? This is an MMA question, apparently. So, um, Luke Rockhold was going to have a rematch with Chris Weidman for the middleweight title. Weidman got hurt again, and the late replacement is Michael Bisping, who had held the ignominious record of most fights in the UFC without getting a title shot. Um, He's been around forever. He's always been a peripheral contender. He's a pretty big star. So this kind of, I can actually sort of tie this back to baseball. UFC got really serious about drug testing about a year ago. Michael Bisping was kind of the Frank Thomas figure that was always out there screaming that, like, everybody else is on drugs and I'm not, and all the guys beating me are roiding like crazy. And that pretty much turned out to be true. So all of a sudden, (laughs) Michael Bisping appears to be a much better fighter than he was, even though he's aging and shouldn't be. Um, He did get absolutely destroyed by Luke Rockhold the first time they fought, and he's fighting on very short notice. I, he's got a shot to win. I think he's something like a 6-1 to underdog. And if I'm answering this question, which is a slight troll from Brady, I would guess Bisping has a rematch with Anderson Silva after he loses to Rockhold. He beat Silva in a somewhat controversial decision. That's why he's getting the title shot. And if he loses to Rockhold, both will be out of title consideration, and that'll be like a money-drawing main event on a B-show 
or a good semi-main on a major show. So I will answer that question seriously for you, Brady. But I know that I know the troll is that I'm something of a Michael Bisping fan just because I I admire that the guys hung around for 12 years and apparently done it mostly clean and has kind of won a lot of fights that he's he shouldn't have because he has an incredible cardio and generally doesn't give up. Um, and it's kind of admirable and. I like redemption narratives and this whole kind of late career surge into a title shot is a nice pet redemption narrative. So I mean, if, if what's his name can knock out George St. Pierre, why can't Michael Bisping? Yeah, I mean that, that Michael Bisping is, ver- I don't think Bisping's going to knock out Rockhold. He doesn't really have that kind of power, but is it possible that he survives Rockhold's initial onslaught and then takes three rounds and wins like a semi-controversial decision. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. Uh, that's basically how he beat Silva. So. Our next Facebook question is from Willie. If Granderson continues to struggle, what do we do? I mean, probably keep playing Curtis Granderson. Are you calling up Brandon Nemo? I mean, I mean, do you want Alejandro Diaz? Alejandro Diaz is struggling worse. This ride out. I mean, Granderson's been whatever. If you want to talk about sort of tying this back to Lucas Duda, Granderson's probably been a little unlucky himself. Yeah, I, I don't know how much that plays out in the luck numbers that we're allowed to talk about. Um, <laughs> Jared, <laughs> um, I didn't say anything. Um, I mean, if you look at his so. He's striking out a little more than 2015. He's walking a little bit less, but his batting average on balls of play is 80 points lower. Curtis Granderson goes through these runs for a couple of months. He he's, does, even when he's not, running good. This is not unusual. And he, he might only hit 230 or 240 this year, but he'll probably do enough secondary stuff for it to be worthwhile. The bat does look just a hair slower, and he is, I think he's 35. Um, he's around 35. He's 35, yes. Um, you know, he's, he's aged very well so far. He is the type of player that should age pretty well, but you never know. It could go at some point, but he's a good month away from being 240, 340, 450, which is fine in a corner. That's also the Curtis Granderson season most of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, you know, he did pop a home run today um so he's not you know i don't i curtis granderson's probably not the problem but you know if he's hitting 170 at the trade deadline is it possible that they replace him yeah maybe i mean they basically did the he would basically be in the kadire spot last from last year at that point a little more money out on the back end but sure not not, Not significantly, that, sure. No. I mean, he's only owed fifteen million next year, and Kadira was what thirteen. So, I mean, they they did the same thing with Granderson they did with Wright, which was that they middle loaded the contract. Um, which is yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, but I, you know, he's. I I would guess he is probably going to remain a starting outfielder on the Mets for the remainder of his contract, subject to health, just because you're. Assuming it's probably going to bounce back. Um, it did in 2014. It did even last. I mean, he was hitting... I, I 
should probably look this up before I say this exactly, but I am now looking up what he was hitting on May 21st um, of 2015, and I don't think it was all that much better than it is now. That was the whole, he's walking a lot, but not doing much else. So on May 21st, well, it was 245, 351, 399, so I was wrong. Yeah. That's that's Slugging less than he was. I mean, it's not significantly better. He heated up a lot later in the season. I mean, he finished at 259, 364, 457. He's really not, he's like a good month away from getting to an 800 OPS. Yeah, and he's went through this before. I, I, I'm i not that worried about Curtis Granderson yet. If he's still doing this at the trade deadline, then we start talking, I think. Sure. Our next question is from John. Since we are living in Major League Two, when Terry Collins has his heart attack, who replaces him, Cuddy or Wright? I realize after this question that I do not have a good memory of what happens in Major League Two. Like I've I watched do. it probably more than once. So I mean, so, I remember Charlie Sheen's character coming back and throwing a bunch of different pitches and then getting benched for a while, and they brought in like the j- player from the Japanese league, and so, that's about it. Relevant to this question, Jake Taylor, who's the Tom Barringer, the catcher, yeah, uh, basically gets forced into retirement by his knees. Right, and the other catcher can't throw back to the pitcher. Is that like one of the yeah plots? Okay, now I'm remembering Baker, more about Major League Two now. Uh, um. Lou Brown has a heart attack, and um, Jake Taylor takes over for him. I mean, so it's Kadire then. Yeah, it's Kadire. It's Kadire, uh, yeah. It's Kadire, but I, you know, I not I, I'm taking the heart attack out of it. Let's say Terry Collins gets fired for some weird reason. Who actually would be the interim manager at this point? Uh, probably Dick Scott because they like Dick Scott a lot. I feel like it would be Tim Toffel. But... It could be Toffel, too. It's going to be someone on, like, they're not going to promote Wally Backman, let's be Yeah, I, I think it's probably Tim Toffel. I, I think if TC actually did have a health problem and had to step down, or if they went on, like, a 12-game losing streak and fired him, I think it would be Tim Toffel. Um, just because as much as the trend has been to hire recently retired major league players with absolutely no experience, it usually hasn't been done in midseason. Sure. Uh, Our next Facebook question is from Christian. Who will the Mets send to the Indians in the inevitable trade to re- reacquire Juan Uribe? And I want to say out front, so who's, I'm who's totally the, for who's, this. Who's the John Gant and Rob Whalen equivalent? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Goofy Chris, Delivery, Double A. Chris Flexen? Chris Flexen might be a little too good for this. You think? I mean, there's nobody really in Double A is the problem. I mean, is it is like it Gant, Gant was like legitimately a major league prospect, and so much as you could sure. say, this guy has a decent chance to pitch in the majors. In the double A rotation right now, it's like Robert Gazelman, and then a bunch of guys that have no chance to pitch in the majors. And I say that, and one of them will get a two week cup of coffee, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I it, yeah, there are people on the 2016 Bingo Mets that will pitch in the majors, but there's no. John Gant's probably going to have a couple-year career. Um, did I say 2015? I meant 2016. Oops. Um, I mean, I'm I kind know, of... They traded all those guys is the problem. Akil Morris? Yeah, I could see that. Do people really still buy into Akil Morris? I don't know. 
they don't have much. Are we barking up a wrong tree, limiting ourselves to pitchers here? Is that the problem? Is it easier to find like the John Gant position player equivalent? I mean, it's not like Jeff McNeil. Yeah, McNeil or Guillaume, I was thinking too. I mean, is McNeil too good for that at this point? I think McNeil's right about in that sweet spot, but he also hasn't played in a couple months. Yeah, so. He's hurt, isn't he? Yeah, that's when it gets tricky. Um, that that Bingle roster is pretty... Yeah, I know. I saw it. I watched they're com- it. They're coming to Trenton in a couple of weeks, and I'm not... I yeah. really need a Dom Smith look. I'm not sure how bad I need a Dom Smith look. I mean, if they preso- promote Rosario, I'll be down there with you. So it's well, a, that, that but if it. they don't, it's kind of like. Uh... I mean, I I have enough Akil Morris looks to last a lifetime. As do I. I would like to seek his Salmon, but sure, it's not. You've also got you know required. you're playing roulette with minor league starters. You yes. don't you know. Things happen, and it's possible that he's also not in double A in a month. He could be. Yeah, I think he probably is, but sure. But the injury probably set him back there, but he already he does have 130 innings there yeah, already. I, mean, I think he's uh, probably more of an all star break guy, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, given how much the big league club has sort of rated the AAA starting rotation, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets popped a little earlier, but. I'm just. I'm. I'm trying to find a dude, and yeah. I'm not really fine. I mean, I mean, they have guys in Bill that Ramos or just, somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. You know, just uh, you know, Milton Ramos has a shot in a major league career. Sure, I he guess a little bit further away, obviously. But Juan Uribe is also Juan Uribe is a year older, and you're not getting Kelly Johnson in the deal, and he's not really hitting right now either. So, you know, Ty Bachelor maybe. Ty Bachelor. I don't know. It's one of those guys who are like, I should get a look at Ty Bachelor this season, but like, I don't really need to get a look that at Ty Bachelor that, this season. That, that Columbia team is it's worse. It's brutal. Than, like, I've been <laughs> considering like when I can get down there, and I'm just like, eh. Like, legitimately, the best position player prospect on the team is probably David Thompson. It's bad. No, it's still Milton Ramos over David Oh, you think Thompson. it's Ramos? I think it's still Ramos or Thompson. But I mean, David Thompson's also somebody that could be traded for Wanderer. But... Yeah, sure. He's just a college guy beating up the Sally. <sighs> yeah, but that's, I mean, Wanderer Bay's not going to return. Yeah, sure. You want to go with David Thompson? Is that your answer? We'll just go with David Thompson. I can move on now. Yeah. Because we have the important question. is from Stuart on Twitter. <laughs> I get the exact wording. That's important. Yes. Yeah. This is really that mad, but this is my real question for you guys. What is your top five wrestlers from the nineteen nineties era of all Japan pro wrestling? Now, Jeff and I don't watch a ton of the same wrestling, but this is one where we do overlap. Yes. Um, and I have a feeling our number ones are gonna be different. Really? Yes. I do we wanna go one one, two two, three? Yeah, yeah okay. Let me just make some quick notes right, to myself I'll... here. I'll go for my number one is Ken and Kobashi. Yeah, they're not going to be the same. I know they're going to be the same yeah. because you're going to have Kobashi one and I'm going to have Kawada one. Yes, and I'm going to have Kawada like three or four. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm going to go with Kobashi. You're going to go with Kawada. My number two is going to be Misawa. My two is also going to be Misawa. Okay, so my three 
See, 90s is tough. If we were including 80s, I think it would be Jumbo, but I think since we're only including 90s, it's probably Kawada just because of the depth of the quality of work. So I have Saruta at three because Jumbo has more good matches in the 90s than Kenta Kobashi. Oh, so you're going the other way. I'm going, See, I'm going, I'm going hot take you off the map here. So the, now, where would Kobashi rank if we were including Noah? Would he be one then? No. Okay, so Kobashi still- wasn't good past 1993, so. Wait, what? Yeah, it was, it, as soon as he started, like, no-selling Steve Williams' backdrop driver, I was out. He was like a young boy before 1993. Is Kobashi not going to be on your list? No, Kobashi's four. I have him ahead of Tawe, but. Okay, so I have a Kawada, I- Misawa, Saruta, Kobashi, Tawe. Okay, so I have Kobashi, Misawa, Kawada, Saruta. How the fuck do you justify having Kawada that low? I. I, I don't know. I, I just, I yeah. do. I never, I never really connected with him in the yeah. same way that you did. Mm. I mean, I was, I just, I always thought he was outworked by Kobashi and Misawa. I just, you know, that's an opinion. You're just a work rate whore. That's all it is there. Yeah. I mean, and part of it also might be because he was on Tawai's side in a lot of the big tags and I was nowhere near as big of a fan of that pairing as you are. Mm. Um, I, I, I might put Jun Akiyama five just to be an asshole. Oh, just <laughs> um, you know, I Tawe. I, I am one of the people that thinks Tawe is historically overrated because of the number of Dave Meltzer five star tag matches he has, um, in which he did not, in which he was like the hot tag guy or like the secondary heat guy, and didn't do a whole lot. I have. <sighs> There are very few amazing Akira Tawe singles matches. There's like two or three, and they all involve other guys on the list. Um, I, I like Akira Tawe. Akira Tawe was really great. I would be fine if Akira Tawe was in the Observer Hall of Fame, which he is not. And he has not even been a serious candidate for the most part. Um, but, you know, I... And again, Tsunakiyama is a guy that a lot of his best stuff was after the 90s and after all Japan. So that might be a little unfair, but I mostly wanted to get Jeff. If you show me those like Tsunakiyama matches after the 90s that are good, I'm open to seeing them, but I haven't seen them yet. So, <laughs> I mean, it's also the same thing. Like Tsunakiyama had like a bunch of like awesome matches with like Misawa and Kobashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Kobashi. Um, I, I tried to... Th- I almost, you know, Steve Williams is an interesting choice for five. I you think. could probably squeeze Hanson in too if you wanted. Hanson, I don't know if enough of his stuff is yeah. in '90s All Japan. But I mean, I guess if I'm hot taking like Ruda on there, you can make a case for Hanson. I think if we kind of go like the entire All Japan Noah run from like the early '80s to like 2007, 2008. Yeah. That wasn't the question though. We probably, yeah. Then it's like probably Kobashi Misawa. Kobashi Misawa. Stop Saruta, putting Kobashi number one. You Hansen, freaking Mark Hansen. Yeah, and then it. Yeah, it still gets a little tough. Maybe mm-hmm. I'd put Williams in in that case. I, I like Kenny Kobashi. Yeah, you know, obviously. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm not gonna. You know, there's obviously a frame of reference in that, you know, my uh, tastes travel from Kenta Kobashi to Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi, and yours maybe go from 
to from Kawada mm-hmm. to I don't know some Dragon Gate guy. I've yeah, watched like some Dragon ten, Gate guy. Yeah, some Dragon Gate guy whose name, if I tried to say, I'd completely botch. Yeah, probably. We're not done with top five lists though, because now it is time for how well do you know your co-host? Yeah. Mm. So the topic I gave you for this week was favorite five prospects you saw in 2015. Yeah, this was actually tougher than I thought because it required me to go into my notes and realize who I'd actually seen in like 15 versus 14. And um, I'm not sure I have the right five, but these are all definitely guys I saw in 2015 and really liked. So if you hit one that I realized should have been on there, I will say that. Fine. Um, I'm not going to try to do these in order. I'm just going to kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I will start with... Aaron Judge. That, he, he was number four on the list. Yeah. Um, he's, was not, that's kind of a gimme, because he was the best guy in Trenton, and I see a lot yes. of Trenton. Then so. you talked uh, him up to me when we were talking about the, uh, Yankees BP list. That's why I remember... I figured yes. I was pretty safe there. Yeah. Uh, so, from there, I... Now, see, I'm trying to remember if you saw this guy in 2015 or not. But I've got a few shots here, so I'm going to use one of them on him. Yeah. And I'm going to go with J.P. Crawford. I did see J.P. Crawford in 2015. He is number one. On yeah, yeah, that's pretty... <laughs> Yes, I have seen J.P. Crawford in every season in which he has been a pro. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, I caught him. I caught him in Reading, and I caught him on Reading. I think two trips from Reading to Trenton. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, how about Luis Severino? No, I actually was. I I am not a huge fan of Luis Severino. Did I did see him in twenty fifteen. He is not in my top five. I do not. I, I think he does not. How do I say this uh, diplomatically? I think he has a reliever's delivery and struggles to repeat. Sure. Um, and I liked five prospects I saw more. Okay. Uh, knowing your fondness for the Waffle House near the stadium. I'm going to move over to Lehigh Valley and take a shot here. Again, a a guy that would be on the border line of you maybe seeing in 2015. How about Aaron Nola? Okay, so I saw Aaron Nola in Reading, Lehigh Valley, and Philadelphia. So, yeah, he's number two. (laughs) Better than Um, I thought I would. Yeah, I thought Aaron Nola would be exactly what he is, which is... You were always very high on Aaron Nola compared to the uh, industry as a whole. Um, I, um, one of the, yeah, it's, I saw him, I think I saw three or four minor league starts of Aaron Null between 15 and 16, and there was a lot more, there were, the stuff was better than people gave him credit for, and the pitch ability is just, like, totally off the charts. <laughs> All right, so I'm three for four so far. Yes. The next two are probably the toughest two to get. Yeah. Hmm. 
about Greg Bird? Greg Bird was not somebody that I put on the list. He might be six or seven. Um, I did see him a lot. I was not as high on Greg Bird as, say, the average Yankee fan. But I do like Greg Bird. Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take a quick peek here now. I didn't really prep this as well as I should have. Do you want a minor hint? Yeah, sure. Why not? You've you've already hit the three guys that were on local teams. The other ones. Yeah, yeah, I figured they were. yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah. Once you said the two, the last two were hard, I figured. Uh, yeah. Uh, would he have been? Let's see where he was in 2015, given your, given my knowledge of your particular affinity for him. It's per, per, it, it's a, we should probably stipulate that I may have discussed some prospects with Jeff yeah. for the purposes of the BP list even before I was officially hired. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. In the interest of full disclosure, and he wouldn't have played in a place you would have seen in 2015. So, yeah. Uh, let's move on. And... No, probably not him. So we hit Judge. Probably not him. Uh, or you said the local teams were covered already. Um, yeah, fuck it. Nick Williams. Nope. Although he also was in consideration. One guy I can't believe you missed. Michael Conforto. I have two more guesses. I have one more guess, asshole. I've only gotten two misses. No, you got got three. You're right, because I guessed uh, Bird. Okay. All right. Michael Conforto, I can't believe you missed. When did you see Conforto? I saw him for one game when Bigelow came into trade. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> um, Jan Moncada was the other one I saw a okay, great yeah. reason yeah, like, fine. Um, the other guy that I considered putting on here was Rafael Devers nice. um, so yes I did see one Conforto was a little bit of a stretch but you did know I saw him um, yeah Nick Williams um, I certainly like Nick Williams but not as much as Conforto or Moncada that seems reasonable Okay, so springboarding off of our Steven Strasburg, best pitchers we have ever, best, best pitching prospects we have ever evaluated live, because mm. I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid using the word scout. Yeah, I know. Um, Painfully, torturously avoid yes. using the word scout. Um, I asked Jeff to come up with his list of the five best guys he's ever seen in the minors live. And I'll or say, the, pitchers the specifically. Minors, the minors or college, because I wanted one freebie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who I'm pretty sure is on the list. Uh, my freebie is Sean Newcomb. I assume he's on this list. He is. He's number five, but he's on the list. And I will say I've seen kind of like okay. shit for pitchers over the last few years, but. Yeah. And, and these are grades I gave them at the time, not necessarily yes, what they turned guys into. At the time. Yeah. I have several guys on here that did not turn out too particularly awesome yeah um my next guy which is a guest because he was in new britain for a while is jose barrios I never saw barrios so okay so that's an x i think it was actually in chattanooga most of last year so i think he got uh, to new britain towards the end of 2014 but i never caught him um my other new britain guest was alex meyer i did see meyer liked meyer a lot he doesn't make the list Oh, man, I'm already two, You're already two in. in the hole, yeah. Oh, man. Um, 
so now I may have to uh, string my guesses out a little bit because mm. I have five more here to run through. Yeah. Um, Stephen Matt. Never saw Matt. Missed him by a day because of a rain delay. Wow. Oh. Okay. So can I run through the other four that I wrote down and just see actually I shouldn't they... say that. I saw Matt in Savannah, but based on what I saw in Savannah, okay. I would not have put him on the top five. The next guy I was going to go with was Syndergaard. I actually never saw Syndergaard as a. Uh, hell, how did you grade all these guys? Um, I didn't, for the most part. Rafael Montero. I saw Montero, but he, twice, but never made the list. Nope. And the last two were going to be Strasburg. Never saw Strasburg. You're so far off, it's ugly. And Matt Harvey was going to be the other one. Nope. Wow, so I got one out of eight. Okay, yes. so who are the other four? Uh, Zach Wheeler. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Sanchez. That's one I should have gotten because you go to New Hampshire a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jair Similia. Really? Yes. I, really? I've, I've told this story before. I saw the one start right in Double A when he had a good changeup. Yeah, I, I think we have talked about that, but I'd forgotten that. Okay. And, and the the guy you probably would have never gotten uh, is Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, no, I never. <laughs> that was back, could, when, the, that's back could, when the Giants were in Norwich. You could give me a hundred guesses, and I wouldn't have gotten Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. I didn't even realize you were evaluating pitching prospects from Madison Bumgarner. Was... That's 2010? Yeah, I, I guess I, I never guess... wrote an official report on it. I but... guess I did guess Strasburg, so. Yeah. That's fair. Um, are we pushing David Ortiz to next week, or should we talk about David Ortiz a little bit? Uh... Yeah, fuck it. Let's talk about David Ortiz. Because you want to talk about David Ortiz in the first segment as sort of your non-Mets thing. So what's your David Ortiz pitch? Yeah, we kind of, we had to record with Eric and we got, we had to cut a David Ortiz segment. Yeah, so David Ortiz is pretty much having something vaguely resembling the best season of his career. Um, Right up there with his like 06, 07 peak. Um, Before... You know, seasons where he finished in the top five MVP voting. And David Ortiz is um, 40 years old, mm-hmm. turns turns 41 right after the end of the World Series. And I, I vaguely remember, I don't know, there was, a, it may have been like 2012 or 2013 where it kind of looked like, it may have even been 14. Like there was a period where it looked like David Ortiz was declining for like three months. And then like he, he all had of a sudden he had a first half of the season where he looked completely done. Yeah, and, and not like a people month, were like, like writing a is first David Ortiz done? Yeah. So David Ortiz is a member of the 500 Home Run Club. Yes, he is. All, he is also a designated hitter. Um, he yes, has facts. also been linked to PED usage, something which we should stipulate that he vehemently denies, and that neither um, of us and, really care about. Yeah. Is David Ortiz going to be a Hall of Famer? I mean, so there's a two-part question here. Should he and will he? Yes. Should he? Probably not. But I don't know how strongly I feel about that because I don't know what the standard is here. It's yeah. kind of like figuring out what relief pitchers to put in the Hall of Fame. And one of the one of the other interesting things is there's only been like eight career DHs with any kind of real career as a DH because it's impossible to be a career DH unless you're like really awesome at it. Right. 
um, which kind, which also kind of makes best DH ever kind of like a weird, like almost who cares. Um, we should also mention that he was pretty fucking awesome as the Red Sox won three World Series. Right. So there, there is, I mean, if you just want to look at straight Jaws, and Jaws doesn't really handle DHs. It considers him a first baseman. Right. And he's not close to that standard. Yeah. Um, if you compare him to Paul Molitor, I mean, Molitor is probably a better player. Edgar Martinez was so another we, name. So we get into up. Edgar Martinez, and you're like the one dude on the internet on baseball Twitter that doesn't like Edgar Martinez. It's not that I don't like Edgar Martinez. I just don't ever. I don't think Edgar Martinez has ever been one of the ten best players on the ballot, and I have a hard time justifying an Edgar Martinez vote over a Mark McGuire vote. Okay, so Ortiz for his career in the playoffs, about a half season worth of plate appearances. Hit 295, 409, 553 for a 962 OPS. His career OPS is 927. So he's been a little bit better than his career averages in what one would consider incredibly like pe- high pennant leverage. Uh, he was he was also the MVP of probably the most famous playoff series that was not a World Series in baseball history. And also has a World Series LCS. MVP. Yes, he was also a World Series MVP. He has been a nine-time All-Star. He will make his 10th this year. He has never won an MVP, but he has five top five finishes and also has his shot to have a top five finish and maybe even win one this year. Um, I feel like if the season ended now, he would probably win one and people would probably be really upset that he did over Machado. I mean, his most, his similar, you want to look at similarity scores, you get uh, Frank Thomas. Yeah. Who's an interesting comp, but I think a far better player. Yeah. Fred McGriff, who feels also an interesting comp. Who feels like a better comp to me. Carlos Fred- Do- Carlos Delgado, who also feels like a reasonable comp to me. Jeff Bagwell, who's probably gonna get in. Yeah, Stargell and McCovey who are both gonna get in. Pujols, who's gonna get in. You get down to like Giambi and Helton, who also feel like reasonable comps to me. Giambi might have gotten in, if not for steroids, and probably hey, isn't. Yeah, kind of a fairly quick decline. It's, Helton's going to be a bizarre... Yeah. I mean, so, But these are all, all... His most similar batter is under a 900 similarity score, which essentially means there is no similar batter right. to him. And I think that even if you count, you know, there's certainly... Um, People will make a playoff clutch leadership argument, and he might be one of the few guys for which it is a valid argument. I am open to I am open to that argument for him much more than I am so most other players who for it is made. My counter argument to that is for another player with a very good playoff record who will also be probably retiring after this season, and that's Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran should be in the fucking Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, the, the weird thing to me is it, it seems like that's becoming more patently obvious to a larger portion of the electorate than I thought it would be at this point. Sure. Like, he feels like a guy that's going to kind of fall into the... I mean, I think he's better than these players, but could have been in danger of falling into sort of the Jim Edmonds, Kenny Lofton category. Also, for the record... 
there is a very good chance that Carlos Beltran and the final troll of the blame Beltran people is going to wear a Mets cap in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm all for that, obviously. Yes, that's uh, like the final. Tro- I mean, it's, yes. you can argue Royals, but he really Look, had. I'll, I'm just. Most- I, yeah. I will make this statement on the podcast, and I consider it legally binding. Yeah. If Beltran goes into the Hall of Fame as a Mets cap with a Mets cap, I will go to the Hall of Fame. I will take a selfie with Beltran's plaque, and that will permanently be my Twitter avatar until I'm dead. Okay, or Twitter goes bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, sure, I may or may not move it over to Peach, we'll see. I'm not considering (laughs) it legally binding for Peach. Okay. Uh, Well, this is also what... I mean, so you think Carlos Beltran's going to retire after this season? I think, I mean, he's kind of DH only now, and that's kind of worked out well for him. He's sliding into that like empty slug portion of his career if i recall correctly he indicated that there's a pretty good chance he's going to play through 2017 go ring chasing one more time and then retire yeah yeah, all right fine but i don't think he's gonna Um, he's not going to meaningfully change his hall of fame case he's gonna end up with Right now, he has 24-93 hits, 401 home runs. So let's right, say so he's going to end up 26-27, 420-430 home runs. But I think I noticed when he went over 400 home runs, it, like the, I mean, I guess whatever. you got to turn out a column once a week. But I saw more of the <laughs> Carlos Beltran as a Hall of Famer columns than I expected. I think he's a little hurt on the black ink more than I expected. Um not a ton of awards consideration. Well, he's Never... one of those guys. He like falls into the like Bill James, yeah, broad based skill set guys, like the Dwight Evanses of the world. I mean, there's kind of there's a fair amount of similarity, I think, between him and Tim Raines. Maybe I could see that case. Um, Beltran has more defensive value and more pop. Raines was a better on base guy. But they're both among the most efficient base stealers of all time. At one point, Beltran was the most efficient base stealer of all time, but then his, he, his numbers went a little south after his knees went. Conveniently um, enough, his most similar similar batter is also Dwight Evans. So, yeah, um, you know, and there's some interesting people on there. Tory Hunter, who's probably not going to get in. I mean, I think Beltran is legitimately an elite defensive center fielder, though. Where Beltran's one are. of the best. One of the best defensive center fielders I've ever seen on a regular basis. Maybe the best on a regular basis. He wasn't Andrew Jones in his peak, but I mean, up, right up until I would say probably 08 or 09, whenever that first arthritic knee problem happened, yeah, he was just incredible out there. I mean, if he wins the 2006 MVP and you can make a case that... Probably should have. He probably should have. I mean, you run into sort of the... If you, <laughs> that was that was the Barry like Bonds year, so everybody else had a shot, right? But it runs into the sort of the you're into the bridge of well, if you're not going to vote for Albert Pujols, <laughs> I mean that was that was the year that Ryan Howard won it close over Albert Pujols, right? And Ryan it's... Howard won it based on like barely like getting the Phillies into the wild card race briefly in September and ribbies and, and ribbies, yes, yeah, and um. Beltron was probably the best player in the league, but yeah, you could make a case for Pujols. You could 
at war tries to make the case for Chase Utley that probably involves some D-war that I don't particularly agree with. Um, you know, Howard was 313, 425, 659. You know, for all we shit on Ryan Howard, Ryan Howard really was a hell of a player for a while. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, that's a nice season in my 2006 You know, Ryan, Ryan Howard had, like, a five, six-year run there where he was, like, an that, absolute... But nobody was monster. looking at that. They were looking at 50 and 150, and that was that. Yeah, they were looking at 58 homers and 149 ribbies and, and going, the, yeah, baby! The Phillies were briefly in the wildcard race. Which they then ignored when uh, David Wright didn't get it in 2007. But I'm not bitter about that nine years later, Jared. Not at all. But it does seem like almost a fait accompli now that Beltran's going in, which is weird. Like, I was, like, gearing up for the the Beltran Hall of Fame fight in five to six years. He also has, and he has a changing electorate's going to be in his favor, and all the steroid guys are going to be off the ballot by then. And the steroid thing, I'm going to swing that steroid thing back around to Ortiz, that we're like, there's a much better public case that David Ortiz used performance-enhancing drugs than there is Jeff Bagwell or Mike Piazza. Yes. There may not be a better case to some writers that claim to have, you know, your Murray Chase and your Adam Rubin that perhaps claim to have inside knowledge about one of those players or the other, but... Um, so what we know is that David Ortiz reportedly failed the survey test in 2003. We don't know what we are pretty sure he did fail. We don't know what he failed for. It wasn't supposed to be public. Um, he then proceeded to claim that he was going to find out why, and that was like seven years ago, and it was pretty much the last we ever heard of it. Right, it was very uh, much like, you know, O.J. Simpson searching yeah, for the real killers. Trying yes. not to use that yeah, yeah. reference. But, it's topical um, now because of, like, American Crime Story or whatever. That was a really good show. Everybody I didn't should watch, watch it. That so show. It, it really is I'll worth watching. I'll take word for it. Um, and Ortiz confirmed that he tested positive, so it's not like we know he tested positive for steroids. And I feel like, I, like, we know that David Ortiz tested positive for steroids and he's still going to get into the Hall of Fame. Like, right. that just strikes me as weird. Because it's not really about steroids, it's about steroids and or getting one over on the media. Barry that Bonds the never electorate. tested. Barry Bonds never failed. But he was mean to the media, Jarrett. He was he's mean to the, the media. Best, he's also the best hitter of all time. <laughs> You know, and yeah, yeah, somebody's going to tweet at me, Babe Ruth or Ted Williams, you know, Barry Bonds wasn't allowed to play during Babe Ruth's career or like half of Ted Williams' career. So Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. And, you know, they, I, I, I do, I do think that it's, um, the quality of baseball has gone up. Yes. Over the, you know. Sure. There's a lot of, it's just it strikes me as a bizarre place that like David Ortiz is like the hill we're going to stop dying on. Look, there's 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 a simple two word phrase that's gonna drive this, and that's Boston media. <sighs> they push for Rice for whatever reason. They're gonna push for Ortiz for whatever reason. He's probably gonna get in. Is they? <laughs> Is David Ortiz really that friendly with the media? Like, uh, I, I kind of get the sense that he's kind of a dick. Yeah, me. sure, but in, it's like an acceptable baseball player level I mean, of dick. 
you know, I... I usually find David Ortiz's... I don't know whether to call it an act or not. Like, the David Ortiz experience I find amusing. You know, he pimps every single home run he hits. He's got, like... You know, when we were talking about the slow trot times in the Bartolo, like, almost all of them were David Ortiz. Um, he's He's pretty aggressively... He says a lot of stuff that other people wouldn't get away with saying. He is supposedly a great clubhouse leader and those sorts of things, if you believe. But he also, like, I mean, he has that career arc of, like, a steroid guy. Like, if you, you know, he's a giant hulking DH who is absolute garbage until his mid to late 20s to the point that he got released didn't become a regular until age 27 and has now been a top slugger through his age 40 season. Like, this is, like, if you were, like, picking out of stereotypes of what a steroid guy should look like, like, this is the steroid guy career. I mean, you could look at Edgar Martinez's career arc and say similar things. I know Martinez had injury issues, but... That maybe you know, that, that has come up is a thing tangential to the Edgar Martinez. I mean, there's no real standard for accusing dudes of taking steroids other than at one point played Major League Baseball, so. Sure, but, but did we know David Ortiz failed the PED test. Like, we know <laughs> it doesn't have to be accused. We know. He admitted it. <sighs> yeah, I don't tell you. I, I, and again... I don't give a fuck. I would put all the. I would put Clemens in. I would put McGuire in. I would put Barry Bonds in. I would put Sammy Sosa in. I think we're losing a great part of baseball history, which also happens to overlap with, like, not really much of my childhood, but more like my teen and late teen years. And, like, it's like my. Well, see, I think, I think like, the, the 80s, like, the Tim Raines generation is probably more underrepresented than. I, the well, most the recent best, generation, if only because there's been, like, historically great pitching recently. The best players of that era are in, though. Like, Tim Raines, and hey, I love Tim Raines. Tim Raines not being in the Hall of Fame is a joke. He's probably going to get in on the next ballot. So, for all the for all the outrage, he's probably still going to get in. But, like, Tim Raines and Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker are not, like, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. Like, yeah, fact, sure. Like, you can't have a Hall of Fame without Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. You're pretending that an entire era of baseball did not exist. And and that's, you know, it's and the, the Mike Piazza stuff, you know, Mike Piazza's just getting in now. You know, Mike Piazza's probably the greatest catcher in baseball history, if not close. If not, he's close enough to be in the conversation. He is in the conversation, as Tiger Woods would say. What did it take him? Four ballots? Yeah. He should have gotten in with 95% of the vote. Bagwell Bagwell still isn't in, which is... And Bagwell, at least, there's... You know, Bagwell's not... You know, I know Bill James ranked him, like, hilariously high on a first base list once, but Bagwell's only, like, you know, the 10th best first baseman of all time. Or It's just... David Ortiz is such a weird hill to, like... Like, if we're letting in steroid guys... David Ortiz is the weirdest guy to start with because he's kind of bored. He's like getting pushed in by extra factors, and I'm okay with that. But they're, they're, it's Barry Bonds. Like, come on. I, I you know. Take a deep mm. breath, Jarrett. 
Yeah, I mean, I I used to go out of my way to see Barry Bonds. Like, I when the Giants were in town, I'd try and make sure I got to the stadium because, holy shit, it's Barry Bonds. Yeah, deep breaths. I, deep breaths. Okay. You got, got me going on David I Ortiz. Did, I didn't do anything. Um, I got myself going on David Ortiz. There it's you just, go. It's a weird place to start, and, you know, I... I do we think that once David Ortiz gets in, that Barry Bonds is also going to get in? I don't think they're any re- way related in any way, shape, or form. But they really are. I mean, Ortiz will hit the ballot after Bonds is already off, so. There's, They'll come, I mean, come down to whatever the veteran committee looks like in and the veterans 10 years. Can, yeah, which which is, it's going to change five more times between now sure. and then. And it might change even specifically to keep Barry Bonds out because they sure seem like they changed the rules to keep Barry Bonds out from the 15 years. Yeah, year to the well, you know, that's why Which I don't go to the Hall of Fame anymore. Going to fuck people like Mike Musino a lot more than Barry. Hey, you want to talk about a guy that's never been connected to steroids, that his absence from the Hall of Fame is completely inexplicable? Mike Musina. Mike Musina is like the only pitcher. I, I need to make sure I get this right, so I'm going to pull up Mike Musina's. If I recall correct, Mike Messina's career record is 270 and 153. He's the only pitcher with more than 200 wins who has more than 100 games over 500 to not be in, or at least was as of the last time I looked this up. And that's it's not like he's just over that line. He's yeah. a lot over that line. And he's I've been told the Baseball Writers Association of America still likes wins, so and that's win why loss I record used, and stuff like I that. I used win win loss record. This is a guy that was a consistent Cy Young candidate for most of his career. 123 ERA plus. Uh, he never won. He never won a Cy Young. He only won 20 games in his last season, but he won 19 games and 18 games a bunch of times. But I mean, it, functionally, it comes down to he pitched in the same era as Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, if, and Roger Clemens. If you re- removed Mike Mussina's name from the ballot, and the name on the ballot was 270 and 153, he would get in with 85% of the vote. If that's the only information you gave the writers, he would get in with 85% of the vote, and he's not in. I guess. that's Because there is no historical precedent with somebody for that win-loss record to not be in the Hall of Fame. And traditionally, the writers, for the most part, have put guys in based on pitcher win-loss record. Well, then what's, the, what's their beef with Mike Mussina, you think? A, he was never the best pitcher in baseball. He was ne- he never won a Cy Young award. He was just good old Mike. Well, I think sort of taking it full circle with the Matt Harvey conversation, the ability to be above average for a long period of time gets underrated, especially with pitchers. I remember when, uh, was it Adam Dorowski over at Beyond the Boxer was doing his Hall of Merit or whatever? Yeah. Um. Like, some of the pitchers that got in, I know Jerry Kuzman was one of them. Yeah. And his sort of argument was, well, it's just very rare for any pitcher to be very good for a long period of time. I, I, and Mike Mussina, almost every year, pitched yeah. his It's like, if you, you'd rather starts. sign up for Tim Lincecum's career or Mike Mussina's, you're taking Mike Mussina's every time. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched, and he... The, the ridiculous thing is he probably could have pitched two more years on those Yankees teams, gets the 300 wins, yeah. doesn't contribute that much, and he's in. Yeah. Because, I mean, he retired his last season. He would he was, have gotten another two-year deal off the back of that season. He was 20-9 and nine with a 3-3-7 ERA, pitched 203rd innings. This is in Yankee Stadium in the AL three, East. 3-3-2 yeah. FIP. 
was sixth in the Cy Young voting and decided to go home to Montoursville, Pennsylvania. Yeah, you get a two-year deal at least off the back of that. A two-year deal? They might have given him a three-year deal. You know, this is like, you know, that's the deal that, that's basically the season that Bartolo Colon had at the same age that got him a two-year deal from the Mets. And Mike Messina didn't have the elbow health or the steroid stuff hanging over there's, 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 there. Yeah, I mean, we can go on. Kurt yeah, Schilling. Yeah, we can yeah. go on at some point. There, it, it's just David Ortiz is the weirdest place to start. That's Look, all. I've gotten you worked up over Barry Bonds and Mike Nucina already. We're already over our two hours from last yeah. week's show. Okay, I'm gonna wind it up now. All right. Is that okay with you? That is okay with me. We'll be back next week. Yeah, we more. will be back next week. Can you let me do the outro by myself? Sure. All right. We'll be back next week with another edition for all you kids out there. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.